Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 1995's The Usual Suspects versus 2006's Inside Man. Keenan, I won't ask how you're doing today as I usually do because I know you're under the weather. Um, Thank you. I don't want to level things out too much. I'm not playing fo- the new football manager, so I'd say we're probably even. I don't feel. I don't know why you were so devastated by this. Why? What does wait until tomorrow give you? That's what I meant to ask. Um, well, I was hoping it would come tomorrow, but it's just kind of knowing it's there. I've not been playing it much recently because I've basically been. Why would I start a new save when I've got the new one arriving sometime soon? Um, and so it's more the the FOMO there, but I'd still have to download all the new kits and uh, face packs before I start because I'm quite pernickety like that. So it would have been a late surprise. start anyway. What oh, a surprise. You're anal about something. I would never have Well, guessed. I feel like I'm going to play it. I feel like I want it properly. Would you want to play FIFA with all, with all the kits blank? Yeah, here's what it is. But there isn't much, but we do have some news of the week to start off with. So we'll get into that first. David Tennant says he was considered for James Bond before Daniel Craig was eventually cast. Yeah, I could see it. Wouldn't have been good, but I could see it. Do you reckon he'd have been good? Don't look right, does he? He's got that... Um... This is going to be sad. But he's got more of that in-betweener in a suit energy than he has that mm-hmm. I'm a cool guy, I'm walking into a casino and I may steal your girlfriend and kill you afterwards energy. I realise I he was Dr. O. So he was very much a leading man. But when you look at him, does he strike you as a leading man material? Is there ever going to be someone going from Doctor Who to James Bond? That feels quite counterproductive. Nah, maybe Matt Smith could have done it. Do you have a favourite David Tennant role? Uh, it's either. The, it's, it's very possibly the him and Jessica Jones. Yeah, that's what I was my thinking. Or him and Michael Sheen, they are, I can't even remember, did something on the BBC during lockdown. Um, that is very, very, very funny. He's actually just started a new show called Inside Man, which I saw plenty of times while uh, searching for today's uh, information. Who, David Tennant? Yeah. Uh, right. Rough ratings, unfortunately, for him. Oh, okay. Uh, Seth Green claims Bill Murray dropped him in a rubbish bin aged nine. He says, I was horrified. Bill Murray. Don't I don't know if you've seen this. Um, there's quite the, you know, where like someone speaks out about one celebrity and everyone else goes, I've actually had this story about him tucked for so long. Yeah. That's Bill Murray at the moment. Is it spacey level stuff or? No, but it's the headlines read abusive claims. Mm. It's more in being an asshole to people from what I've seen. How on earth do you, like, I love Bill Murray, but how do you not work out he's an arsehole by, like, just about anything he says or does? So I only kind of glanced through it. (laughs) I didn't mean to laugh. Supposedly the story, which, when you read it like this, Seth Green was on a show with him, age nine, 
Saturday Night Live, that sound right? You're more in tune with that than I am. I mean, yeah, it could be. Okay. Um, he was sat on the arm of Bill Murray's chair. Yeah. Bill Murray took uh, exception to that and picked him up by his ankles and put him headfirst in a bin. Yeah, that's quite funny. Seth Green obviously didn't think so. No. What, what, what are you going to do? There you go. Um, Christian Bale said he owes his career to Leonardo DiCaprio rejecting roles. He said any role that anybody gets, it's only because he's passed on it beforehand. So far, it's probably a fair point for the last <laughs> X amount of years, isn't it? Also, not sure Leo can do. I think Bale can do more of Leo's roles than Leo could do of Christian Bale's roles. Got an example? I don't think DiCaprio can do American Psycho. Uh, does he do Dark? I think he'd do American Psycho. I think he'd be a better place to do American Psycho now than he would have been in 2001, however. I don't know. He could do Batman. See, I, think he, I, don't, I think he'd struggle to do Batman. He could do Bruce Wayne. Just that's that's my main thinking. Okay, he could he I, he could do Bruce Wayne, but he couldn't do Batman. Can Leo do the kind of Le Mans stuff and so go in as like Egyptian seen. gods? And is he going to boil himself down? Can he do the fighter and all these kind of things? Uh, I I don't know if Leo could have done the fighter. It's like it's not an example of a good film, but I don't see Leo doing Terminator. No, no, no. I do realize I made that entire point basically because I couldn't see Leo doing American Psycho, but I hoped that then looking at his IMDb would back up the claim. Yeah, I feel um, there's enough of a point there to have the conversation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Bale, maybe. I mean, Christian Bale could probably do... Yeah, Christian Bale, is there anything you think he couldn't do? Well, that's that's mainly my thing, because I can see Bale doing the slick more than I can see Leo doing the kind of deranged not, or twisted not, or scheming kind of things. He's not an action hero as well, Leo. He's, got a, he's in films that have action in them, but is he, he's not an action hero, is he? No, that, that latest interview that I referenced, I think, last week with Christian Bale, and I wish I'd noted down the platform it was on is really good just in terms of him talking about selecting his roles and declining advice that he was offered and all of these other things. So it'd be worth you taking a look at, I think. I think you'd like it. It's just basically him saying, I was told not to do Batman because you can't get out of it. And he says, well, I think if I'm a good enough actor, then I can be more than Batman. And if not, then that's on me. It's not on me being kind of confined to the walls of a film I've done previously I don't think that's ever a thing I think if you're a good enough actor you can go into a second film and if you're doing your job right they'll see you as more than what you were cast as previously yeah fair so there you go Um, I think we will move on just because two interesting films this week so we will start off with the usual suspects 
a sole survivor tells of the twisty events leading up to a horrific gun battle on a boat, which began when five criminals met at a seemingly random police lineup. Critics' reviews. What do you think? 8 out of 10. Have you seen Roger Ebert's review of this? It's one of his more famous ones. No. He gave it a one and a half and he had it before he died on his list of most hated films. Oh, wow. Uh, to, to paraphrase some of what he said, confusing and uninteresting to the degree that I do, to the degree, sorry, to the degree that the parts I do understand, I don't care about. <laughs> he said essentially like the, he saw it at Cannes, I think. Yeah, and he didn't like it and he said maybe I'd watched so many films that day that I just was burnt out because everyone around me seemed to like it so much mm-hmm. and we'll get to the twist but he said the second time around when, when I got to watch it I brought my notepad with me and I noted down all these things the whole way through and then it got to the end and it was just like well none of that mattered like I didn't need to care about anything prior to that twist pretty much and I think that just irritated him to the point that he couldn't get past it See, I do get that. Yeah, we'll speak more about the twist after this, but that that was his main take. Okay. Expertly shot and edited, the usual suspects give the audience a simple plot and then piles on layers of deceit, twists and violence before pulling out the rug from underneath. Singer uses a clever combination of flashback and straight narrative to keep his tale of crime and betrayal moving through a tangle of blind alleys and false leads. Features perhaps the most famous of all movie lineups and the most unforgettable series of unpredictable twists. A masterpiece of the modern film noir genre, a terrific performance piece for everyone involved and an absolutely outstanding directorial effort. No one is out of place or out of line here, and that is what makes the final payoff so sweet. Now, a couple of bases to cover over here. You knew the twist before watching the film, as we've done previously. I (laughs) technically knew the twist, but didn't associate it with the film. So I saw Scary Movie before I saw this, but had no clue that's what they were parodying. So it was all fine for me, had no clue. Yeah. And just something that feels like a box that needs to be ticked and a very quick one. We aren't going to do the whole Kevin Spacey, Brian Singer thing here. We're aware they're scumbags. We're just going to talk about the film. I, I felt we didn't need to go through all that again. I feel like we've covered Spacey a lot. We have. And it's what makes it so horrible because I do think even if you can still enjoy the film, which I can say for now I did, there is still something in the back of your mind like... Not ideal. Not ideal. But separating the art from the artist is the phrase most commonly used, isn't it? And it just so happens that there's more than one person that you need to separate from in this one. Yeah, well, Brian Singer was news to you today, wasn't he? Well, it was because... I'm going over ground. Supposedly, the first alarm bells that were ringing on Spacey were the set was shut down for two days that he'd approached a 
young lad on set who it turns out afterwards was there as an interest of Brian Singer's. So the whole thing is just fucked from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we were saying, mad, these things can be like a whole set can be shut down on a film like this and it can afterwards there's people go, you know, I did know about that a while ago. That's making everyone feel better now, isn't it? So yeah, it's a, it's a sticky one, but well, there's no real way to explain around that. I was going to say the usual suspects is good enough that we still give it the time of day, but we are. So uh, nothing more to say about it other than that. No. Okay. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie's inspiration for the character of Kaiser Soze was a real-life murderer by the name of John List who murdered his family and then disappeared for 17 years. The lineup was... So the lineup scene... Is this the most famous lineup scene in in movie history? Can you think of another? Hmm. Didn't they take it? They took it from Casablanca, didn't they? There we go. That's what you're here for. Oh, sweet. Let's be part of your trivia, man. <laughs> because it's not good that if I think of lineups, I'm thinking of this or the scene in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Okay. Well, yeah. That's one name of the film. Yeah, they took it from uh, Casablanca's Hill Point. He's going to round up the usual suspects. Is this film better or worse? If they do Backstreet Boys, worse. Okay, unsurprisingly. So that lineup scene was scripted as an entirely serious scene, but mm-hmm. after a full day of filming takes where the actors just couldn't keep a straight face, Brian Singer just decided to use the funniest takes. So there's a documentary that came out after the fact, and the actors are explaining just how furious he was because they're just constantly cracking up. So um, Kevin Pollack states that the main laughter before this take came because uh, Benicio Del Toro farted like 12 times in a row. Del Toro, when the same documentary says, somebody farted, but nobody know, but nobody knew who. Fucking leaving the ceiling. Five blokes like just pissing themselves. <laughs> Uh, this that felt entirely fair to me originally Kaiser Soze was supposed to have the name Kaiser Sume named after Christopher McQuarrie's old boss he allowed his boss to read the script who said he didn't really want to be associated with an inherently evil villain and so requested the name was changed fair shot yeah that just I don't know what he was thinking handing that over like he was going to be thrilled oh gets the name of a film doesn't it some casting what ifs, and as we always say, we're unsure just how accurate these are. But the role of Kujun was initially written with Chaz Palminteri in mind. Mm-hmm. He's initially unavailable, like he's a big deal at this stage. Um, not that the others aren't, but they don't hang around when he says he's unavailable and they move on to similarly leveled actors like Christopher Walken, Bobby De Niro, and Al Pacino with Pacino being particularly interested in playing the part, ultimately he decides he's played a cop in his last film. He's just come off the back of Heat. So if he'd gone Heat into Usual Suspects, by the way, that would have been insane. What a run that would have been, by the way. Yeah. Boom, boom. Um, 
he declines. Chaz becomes available, but says he can only film for a week. So first week on set, they just smash out all of his scenes. Really good. He is really good. It, uh, quite good that we did a Bronx Tale last week, actually, because you mentioned it. I would never have associated him with this. Yeah. Well, I made no. the point last week that, and you corrected me, I didn't think he was really made for the supporting roles just because of the presence he has and how powerful he is. Told you. Great he's really, well, I'm going to say, I think he's perfect in this because you do need this character to be kind of filling the space, powerful, and you don't get the ending without this guy feeling like he is entirely in control yeah, right up until those final moments. And he, he's great in this. Mm-hmm. He really is, mate, yeah. And Fantastic. So, so many of the mannerisms are the same as what he's doing in A Bronx Tale, just to kind of put across his authority. And even at the points where he, he kind of does a similar smile like he does when he's essentially going to get one of the other mobsters to do his handiwork for him in this way. He kind of is looking down on Spacey, isn't he? And he's calling him a cripple constantly. I think at one stage he says, I am smarter than you, and he's getting right in his face. Yeah. And he does give off that energy the whole way through. Like, you don't need any kind of music with him entering just because you could point him out of a lineup and say, he's the boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair point. The role of Redfoot... Which Peter Green, by the way, Legend. is fresh off trying to pipe uh, Ving Rhames in Pulp Fiction and then comes straight onto this. Yeah, yeah, he's got some good stuff. Yeah. He's also in Blue Streak, which is a great film. His role, they were seemingly offering to just about anyone Jeff Bridges, Tommy Lee Jones, Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen and Christopher Walken. So when you say just about everyone, you've then just went went out to you basically just rolled out with some Hall of Famers. No, I've taken the most notable names. This okay. this supposedly was a part that basically just got pushed all around Hollywood for whoever whoever okay. fancied it. Fair enough, I forgive you. I was going to say you were just about anyone, and then just rolled off some absolute fucking no, like, no. a list talent. No, I do always like seeing Peter Green pop up though, and I know. Yeah. He's had quite well-publicised issues, but you do wonder just how big he could have been without those. He's got a movie star face, mate. He has, and for this kind of role, like he plays in this, the kind of... he can't, He's kind of got the perfect guy, perfect face for not quite being the main bad guy. Like, he's mm-hmm. the guy that can be turned on, and maybe it's just that we see him in that so often, but no, he's great. And in an interview on the Colbert Report in 2005, Kevin Spacey revealed that Brian Singer convinced every one of the major actors that they were Kaiser Soze. Mm-hmm. And when it was first screened, a lot of them didn't know the ending. Gabriel Byrne was so stunned when he found out that he wasn't Kaiser Soze that he stormed off into the parking lot and argued with Brian Singer for half an hour and had to be calmed down by others that were around. Just don't... How do they all... Like, to convince them all of it, right? How the fuck did they... How did they think that it was going to end? Yeah. Like, he, well, he's one need, that... Because what are they going to do? The, like, the, it just cuts to black and then the coppers figure it out. You need... 
I mean, the reveal they do, obviously, like you say, is world famous now, still, almost 30 years later, right? But what reveal do they think they're getting? Well, they also filmed that before any of them were on set as well, because they did that in the first week. Yeah. Of all of, I, I get what you're saying. All of them is a stretch. Like, I don't see how you're convincing half these guys. Keaton is probably just about the only one that you can make that work with. Yeah. Because he does eventually shoot that kind of scene that he's shooting a lot of those moments, isn't he? And that this is going to be the big reveal scene. Yeah. And so I guess it would make sense to him, but I don't really know what you gain from that. Well, we've, the things we've learned about Brian Singer. Yeah. I mean, mean? it's not one of them where you say that the actors are going to play the role differently if they feel they have to kind of show that they are secretly Soze. And if they know they aren't, then they're maybe going to play it differently. Yeah. Because this, Uh, this is one where there aren't almost supposed to be the subtleties for you to pick up on. And so you don't really, it's not like you're going to have him just slowly turn into the camera every so often or doing certain kind of movements. Like it just doesn't make sense, but maybe it just kept him entertained. I assume that's probably closer to, to the point. So let's talk about the twist. Let's talk about our understanding of it and how we think it affects the film. Because the first thing I wanted to say about it is this film could be entirely different, have the same twist and it still works. Like this is essentially a, it was all a dream twist. Yeah. And if you were to tell anyone that a film ends like that, people, that's like something that's used as a way of kind of putting someone off watching a film. Like, oh, it doesn't end like... It's it's a cop-out normally, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. I actually think we should get more of those back now because people just assume they aren't going to happen. Bring me more of it. It was all a dream twists, but for this, yeah. what have you, have you honestly got a good one? No, no, I just, um, like, I think I'm just in that. I said yesterday, if, if I was a football manager, I'd like to start making all of my substitutions exclusively when defending set pieces just to start freaking people out. And maybe you do just need a few more of these, just so people have it in the back of their minds that it is a possibility. Mm, don't make changes at a corner. Because I can't necessarily give you an example of it, but you do get sometimes, don't you, where they kind of fake out that it was all a dream? Yeah. Like they wake up and then they turn over and the same thing is is still going on. I do quite mm-hmm. like that as well. Something else we've referred to when we've seen Twist before is we've quite liked the idea that you can go back through the film and you can, the second time around, you can pick up and you can follow along with... Yeah. At least for eggs, almost. Yeah, they don't necessarily give you many of those in this. The only thing they really do, and I assume it was a conscious decision, is every time Soze is mentioned, the next shot is spacey. Yeah, I think it happens too often for that not to be a conscious decision. Whether but, it was conscious at the start or if it just happens to be for someone I think's picked that up in a daily. Yeah. If if I ask you several questions then in terms of how other people perceive the film. So would you agree it doesn't matter if Soze made up much of the plot of the film 
because the actor still acted it out. And then the film at the end makes you question the events. So does it matter if it was made up or if it really happened or how much of it happened when you come to reflecting upon what you've seen? Not overly. Because he's telling, it's still him telling the story, isn't it? Yeah. So he could go as big or as little, a bit as, as large or as sort of as tall a tale as he wanted. Because there, there is a possibility that 90% of the film did happen or maybe it's only 10%. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Did the Hungarian story with his family really happen, do you think? Or is that something that Soze thought was just something that sounded great? Uh, I'd never considered it. I would just always assumed it had happened. Because we know that certain elements of it are real, aren't they? We know, yeah. obviously, Kobayashi exists to what, to whether that's his name, to what his involvement is, we're unsure. Yeah. Um, we know these guys in some capacity at least existed. Mm-hmm. We don't know what level of involvement they have. They could have known that he was Soze. Yeah. Um, but essentially he had to conduct enough that like the travel arrangements are there. Enough people are spotted in the area for witnesses. Like he can't say when he's then speaking to police, to the police that 15 people were there when there were only five. Yeah. So there's enough there. So do you take it? If I was to say, you now, you had to say what, what you think happened. How much of the story do you think he does take off that notice board or is he just filling in the blanks? Because I guess when you have the nickname Verbal, you do really need to sell that in a police station. Yeah, I think that's sort of how I always read it, basically. So you take that most of the story happens and he kind of just embellishes certain parts. Yeah, he just fills in the bits that mean he can allude that he basically just fills in the bits where he might struggle to hide his identity sort of thing. So at the time, Spacey wasn't a big star. In fact, his star power of the main actors involved here is probably lower than anyone there. And it's why Seven works, what, a year later? He's big by Seven, though. He's big, but he's not, I'm the biggest movie star, or one of the biggest movie stars in the world, big, to the point where they managed to keep his involvement quiet and big enough that you see him on screen and it's not necessary hard for us to look looking back i'm just going by what people said at the time yeah, um it's very difficult for me to look at and not yeah like seven but they say this worked in particular because he was just like a character actor that had been in a mm. few things now in hindsight he becomes the biggest name on the cast and he also yeah. plays a lot of villain roles um, so it does make sense that he'd be the villain. But if you watched it in 95, you wouldn't have that knowledge. No, correct. Can you pull off twists today? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, I remember Gone Girl is a good example. Gone Girl coming out, and that's the best example of a twist that I can remember in recent memory, and that's what, eight years ago? Yeah. So much of the advertising, so much of what you see is literally being shoved right in your face 
wait till you see the twist in this. And of this era, when you look at this, Memento, Sixth Sense, Primal Fear, which I've not seen, but I know that there's one in that. A lot of these, when you look back at the marketing, there's nothing in it with that. I, I just don't know how surprising you can have things. And certainly because almost, as we've said here, if you do this film now and you look and Kevin Spacey pops up in the last 15 minutes of the film, you're like, okay, well, he's definitely the killer then, isn't he? Mm. So I, I don't think you can do it as effectively. Kevin Spacey, you've used a bad example for that, haven't you? Because Kevin Spacey isn't Kevin Spacey in this. No, that, so it works now. I mean, if you're doing a film today, I think it struggles because I think we just see and hear too much about them. I think you do if you want to. Um, I avoided No Time to Die until I watched it. I avoided Spider-Man until I watched it. With those two, though, I would say the the ending of those films weren't necessarily the selling point. So James Bond actually are. To, to, I think you've done well with James Bond. So I'll take I'll take that back. I think the thing with Spider-Man, people weren't coming out and saying. I need to tell someone about the ending of Spider-Man. They were saying how cool it was that you had these other Spider-Men in there. I think there was enough other conversations. I think if I came out of watching The Usual Suspects and I found out that you're watching it the next day, the first thing I'm going to think is I need to speak to Keenan about the twist in this film. That's more about you than... The, the ability to do it, doesn't it? Well, I'm not gonna no, I'm not gonna tell you that, but I think there's only one talking point in that film that I want to speak to you about more than anything. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. I don't know. I don't I think I, I think too much of the advertising around it goes into the twists and I just think I think we've also seen most things now where we kind of see them coming a lot more. And you're someone that's spoken about how formulaic films have become. I've spoken about how formulaic certain films have become, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I still think there's possible. I, I still think it's. I still think it's possible. I think it's possible, but I think it's certainly less frequent, and it's certainly harder to do. I mean, if it stops becoming possible to surprise audiences, then really. What the fuck? What, what are you making a film for? Now, I did. I did actually anticipate this level of reasoning from you. Would you agree? There's a difference between surprising audiences and there being a twist because we don't look at every film and say there was a twist. Yes. Well, not film. every surprise to the audience has to be a twist, but every twist should be a surprise to the audience. Yes. And so, do you think? twists have become less frequent I don't, I don't know about less frequent I mean, certainly through. than they were around this time because nine probably four of the top five we think about would be in between about 94 and 2004 that's, I mean, that's quite a big stretch of time mate what 10 years hmm. I don't know I think if we were to do 
the top twists of the 2010s, I think it would be a shorter list than it would for the top twists of the 2000s or the 1990s. There was that horrible, horrible phase where M. Night Shyamalan, if I've butchered his name there, I apologize. But you remember his whole thing was a basically there's going to be a twist in his film. And that was I mean, the that's... sole reason people were going to see his films. That's still his thing. It is, but people have grown quite tired of it and the box office numbers reflect that. I think people got quite fed up with him after The Village. Never seen it. Nor have I, but I know the marketing campaign for it was fantastic. And, I mean, this is another thing you could go on, but bring back the days of give me nothing in a trailer or just give me just enough. Yeah, I'm... And the, his his trailers were were unbelievable, but the expectation was so high, and it's very hard to have a twist that is going to meet most people's demands, which is probably why it's hard to do. Because all the so many of what you would use for a twist are just commonly done tropes of it was the babysitter, it was the lawyer, it was this, it was that. I don't know. I think it's I think it's more difficult and. I don't know how well you could do this same film today. Maybe that's the beauty of it. Mm, I don't know. I, I still, I, I still think you can make this. You know, you can make it, um, I still think you can make a film of this nature. Do you think it would be the same person? That's. Well, I was going to ask you who you thought it was going through, so that wouldn't really work. No, it wouldn't. Because. I think the first time I watched it, I assumed that Kobayashi was Kaiser Soze. Yeah, I always said. And he was keeping a close eye. And the fact that he kind of had everything going on and he knew all the information, I thought that was going to be the take me to your boss and then he does the big reveal. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I just... But no, I think there's, I, I still think there's room for it. I mean, it's good. It's, it's just good storytelling at the end of the day. Well, I th- the way that it's done in this film, I thought was really interesting. And we get this weird, weirdly long shot of Chaz drinking his coffee, and he really is loving that coffee. And then we get a slow motion mug drop, and then it slowly starts to kind of dawn on us what's what's happening. But the thing that I thought was interesting is they shoot it as like a cool moment rather than like we would usually get some dramatic music maybe as his footsteps correct themselves or it would be like a slow motion pan up and then the big realisation. The fact they shoot it is kind of almost like a commercial like the guy walking down the street, he's snapping his fingers. He's got his sunglasses on, and he he he's beat. He's won. I thought it was just the way they did that. I didn't think lined up with the tone of the rest of the film. But I also don't think the twist works as well without it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Because the whole film's shot in this kind of dreading kind of way. They do yeah. the John Wick before John Wick, and let's just hear everything about this guy. And you just create this guy who can never 
be the level of villain to what he's being sold as. And you do all of this and you build it and you build it and you build it. You've got the guy screaming about Kaiser Soze and the guy's talking about it as being a myth and all of it. And then the way they do it at the end, just for it to be flipped round, it's, you could put James Bond music over that ending sequence mm-hmm. with just how slick it is and how slick it's supposed to be with him getting in the car at the end. I really like it. And I just thought that was a particularly interesting choice for them to do it that way. Yeah, I think it's it's strange. It's strange because it? it's the opposite of what we normally get in the good guy wins. But it's, I think it's shot as you say in that way, just or almost to show it, his his vindication or him being vindicated. Yeah, and even just with um, the policeman, arms outstretched. Oh, the god, they beat me! Mm. For them to leave it as him saying take me here this is where we're going the policeman going quick get back in the car get the get the police cars going and we got these sirens going past it's just a level of defeat that feels so final mm-hmm. and I think it's much like previously in the film where we don't know what's true and what isn't it's almost better that we know less about him here because anything they do here we then start trying to fill in more blanks yeah. We don't need to hear him say anything that could make our minds start wondering anymore. We just acknowledge that, ah, we didn't know that was who it was. And yeah. then it's all good. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't need like any exposition or anything, does it? It's just, it's good. It just needs to be shot as it, as is. Because they pump fake you, don't they? And you think you've been caught out initially. And you think you've got a twist in that it was Keaton the whole time. Yeah. And for someone where we never see it from their POV, he does almost feel like our protagonist for the most part, if you can have one of those when they are bad guys. So maybe the wrong word. But he's the only one to show any morality in that crew, just in the sheer moment that he hesitates when... Um, doing the uh, initial jump on the guy with a briefcase. Yeah. And he holds back when his girlfriend, who we don't know how much he actually cares about, is going to be with Kobayashi and he doesn't take him out because he's worried about her. Yeah. They dangle this with us. We've got the real breakdown with him where he's streaming. There's no Coke. There's nothing here. <laughs> And that whole meltdown, which at around 12 o'clock today, I did really think I was going to be leaning into and going all in here. But <laughs> as I started there, I realized I don't have that dog in me. No, I get you. But we feel his pain in that moment because we realize that he's been double-crossed. Even yeah. just the fact that he tells Verbal to hang back because he doesn't want him to get hurt and he needs him to be able to speak to his girlfriend afterwards everything is just done so well to divert our attention. And then we feel foolish for not noticing that it's bad police work for them to just turn their back on this guy. (laughs) So, well, you know, go on then get out of here. Yes, it is. Yeah. But it works so well because 
in the moment when he's walking away, we've already got shots of him rushing out of the police station, haven't we? And he said, the cripple, which way did he go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't ever feel like a chase scene to me, that. And I no. think maybe that's because of how they've shot it with it being cool and all of this. I never get the sense that he's going to catch up to him or he's going to see him just outside the door and he's going to have to rush into a car. It does just feel already he's just chasing after a ghost. Yeah, which fits nicely with, with the rest of the film, doesn't it? It does. I mean, he's talked about almost like a ghost at certain points. Oh, yeah, and the last lines of the film, after that, my guess is that you'll never hear from him again. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he does not exist, and like that, he's gone. My theory is they were editing and realised how cool that sounded and just wanted to use it a second time. Uh, yeah, I imagine Because so. we've already got the point of him saying it, haven't we? We remember that. It's yeah. the most iconic line in the film and I think it still is, even without the second mention. Yeah, I yes, think that was them good. just driving it home. It's a nice... It is a nice way to finish the film, to finish off the nut. It's very good. It was just the way I saw it, the way it isn't like a voiceover over the top, the way it isn't him in the car turning to the camera and saying it. Just the fact they reuse the shot from earlier in the film, I thought someone in the editing room probably has done that and shown Singer and he quite liked it, I think. I would imagine so. I'm not sure it would have been drawn up that way originally. But obviously does work uh, very well. What do you think of uh, Gabriel Byrne in this as Keaton? I, I, I don't think there's a bad part in this. His accents are criticised if you look <laughs> online. But he's Irish, isn't he? Yes. Again, that's one of them where... I understand you're an actor. That's a tough one to get out of, isn't it? Because it's not like he's got a weak Irish accent from what I gather. No, I, I get what you're saying. Also, him being Irish does it's one of them where him being him being Irish, him being not him being American doesn't change the story Agreed. of the film. Doesn't impact it. So just let him like it's one of them. We've said it before, just let him let him have an Irish accent. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um Del Toro, so phenomenal. He thought his character was pointless after seeing that he dies first and off screen. Yeah. And so he just decides to do this voice. Yeah. Just to try yeah. and make his character memorable. Works. And he says he essentially, his explanation to Singer was, it doesn't matter if they understand every word I say or not. And that was the way he approached the character because he's just burbling through however long he is like, let's say 40 of the hour 46 yeah weird seeing him looking young because every role he does now is kind of that grizzled guy that's seen things yeah i mean he's had 28 years more on the planet mate so that's what that's what i mean but just the whole even just the role in this he doesn't have that intimidation factor that he he, he looks like uh, such a it's it's got close to a baby face in this one yeah yeah the sunglasses do him a lot of favours. Yes, they do. Yeah, it's a strong, it's quite a strong look, actually. <laughs> My favourite part 
than the one I've actually watched back more. I think because I've watched the actual ending quite a few times previously, even just when you randomly think of it and just go on YouTube, is the moment when Verbal is really selling the fact that he can't believe his friend is Soze. Mm. And the point which he says, how do you shoot the devil in the back? What if you miss? That is like prime spacey there for me if I'm lining up everything he's done. Well, yeah. everything, not everything he's done. Um, <laughs> just that moment, that's that's the scene that I've gone back and watched the most in the last couple of days because he truly had me sold. That The twist I'd heard about, because obviously at the point I watched it, all I've heard about is the twist in The Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's the twist. And he sold me there. Brilliant. It is, yeah. I mean, any sort of, any time, like, I mean, I know it's the majority of the film, but there's not a bad scene as part of the interrogation. Do you know what I mean? No, exactly. Whenever they're together and they bounce off each other, it's all, it's all good. Yeah, it, it is a weird group that they do manage to have working together. And it's just... yeah. Again, I'm reading, and this is in hindsight, I saw it described on multiple podcasts and articles as them doing the kind of moneyball approach hmm. and taking all of these guys that have, have the kind of figures to suggest how good they are, but they aren't the movie stars yet. And I guess it's why this cast has aged so well. Chaz Palminteri is the biggest star in the film. Yeah, at very the, possible. At the time. And yeah, yeah. Well, that's the guy the bulk of the budget goes on. That's the guy they're willing to take a second crack at when they see he's available and they jump at the chance. Everyone else is, they've done enough. Like I think Del Toro's early 30s at this stage. Yeah. And they get these guys in and obviously it just works phenomenally because you don't actually need chemistry as such, do you? Like they're supposed to be kind of a band of misfits. Yeah. And so um, you just get the best yeah. actors you can. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The moneyball well, approach is quite a, quite a nice analogy, actually. Well, because you, you need you need chemistry in terms of they need it needs to flow. It, it needs to not feel clunky, but you don't need them like it's not uh, Owen and Vince where one alley oops for the yeah. other to dunk the punchline home. You don't necessarily need to be charmed by anyone. Either, no, do you? not and I think I don't think you're supposed to be either. No, think, that's what I mean. But then in terms of chemistry, anything that's jarring, yeah. can play to the characters as well. I think they do quite a good job in this of reminding you every so often that these are bad people. Mm. Yeah, and it's not the way that's done as well, because I think you are right, but it's nice that that's not done right on the nose, do you know what I mean? No, it's just there's enough there just so you keep it in mind. Yeah, and I think that's perfect because they could go like all out on that. Just have like just a little, just little something about any each and every all of them, like even just a scene or or something, and you'd be like, oh, right, yeah, and it just sort of would kill the the momentum. What else do I recognise Kevin Pollack from? Doing a lot of stuff, mate. Did, what is this? His 
kind of defining role. I, I was looking at him mm. yesterday, think I recognize you mainly from something else, and I could not nail down what it was. And quite a few comedies. Um, I'm not going to pick my phone up because it tends to mess with the audio, but just, just banging him into one. Uh, it's Casino that I've watched recently. No, oh, and, and War Dogs that we've done recently. He is in War Dogs. He plays uh, the lawyer. Ralph. Yeah. Ralph Slutsky. Um, he's, in he's, quite a, he's, he's in quite a few things, right? Like, obviously. Yeah. yeah, he's Phil Green in Casino as well. Um, we have, and I've forgotten his name again. It's not, I'm not having a good day here. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito as mm. the policeman that's kind of the most average Joe in the film, if that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy that almost isn't playing an extreme of a character. Yeah, he's just there. He basically just helps tick Fills in the blanks, yeah. There. Yeah. Does that, oh, you know, this guy downtown, he's got a file on Kaiser Soze. He's basically, <laughs> he's been working on that for, for years and he just pieces these little things in together. Um, and everything works well. Um, do you have a favourite scene in this outside of the ending? Really like the opening. Anything particular about it? I actually just think it's a really good scene. Played with a little bit of mystery, a little bit of violence. Um, It's, it's exciting. It's a good way to start a film. Um, it's just yeah, it sets it sets the tone real well. I always think, or I thought rather. Couple of questions. Yeah. Why does Verbal sit to keep going through the police questioning after he's already been pardoned? for his own enjoyment and to play the, play his game. So, you know, it's not he needs to close the case or anything. You think it's just him toying. He knows the whole way through. There's never a doubt. Well, if he's, once he's been pardoned, the closure of the case is an irrelevant. Sir. Well, the parliamentary's character still thinks that there's something fishy, isn't there? Yeah. So I wonder if part of it is him trying to... He doesn't know that the guy uh, from the boat has survived and he's able to do the uh, the fit the fit image of him. Yeah. So I do wonder if it's him just ensuring he at least has a picture painted so this isn't coming back on him. But then they also, after you realise just how slick he is, as you say, it could just be... <laughs> What is it, an hour out of my day for me to just keep you going here? Yeah, exactly. Do you have the same admiration I have for Redfoot in the sense of his meeting locations? (laughs) Meeting in front of an old temple like that is just sensational. It's like, if I'm going to get busted, it has to look cool. Uh, I've never really really considered it. And and that may actually tie in with the the dream sequence part of it, because surely not. Surely you're doing it in the back of some car park somewhere. Yeah. As every other guy does in this uh, in this sequence, but the fact that he doesn't, very good. 
Yeah, fair. I, uh, I really like that from you. If you were a bad guy, would you go around in a top hat like Kaiser Soze supposedly does? Was it? I mean, I, I really like it as a look, but in, yeah. this day and, in this day and age, probably not, because if I'm strolling around in a top hat, I'm probably going to be pointed out quite quickly. The Inspector Gadget Killer, you'd be known as. Mm. Did you watch that when you were younger, the Matthew Broderick Inspector Gadget? No, I saw the cartoon. The disrespect you give Matthew Broderick. That's not disrespect because I haven't seen the film, is it? I feel like that was big enough that, well, to be fair, you were watching like a Serbian film at eight. I've never seen that. I, no, I know enough. I know I just don't ever need to watch it. <laughs> That's Movie Madness 200. But it's just not, though, is it? <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Uh, no, I, I don't need to see that again either. Still think it's quite bad that there's a record out there of me renting that. From what, Blockbuster or something? Or um, that in between, that Amazon Love film. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I actually had to have that posted to my house. Yeah, you're on a watch list somewhere. That's, what is it? It's seven, isn't it, where he goes through the library books? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm under investigation and they go, what What did he rent off Love Film? And I, right, this is our guy. <laughs> Look no yeah. further, this is our guy. Probably been expunged from your record now, but at some point in time you were confirmed on a register or a watch list somewhere. And you never want to be on a register. That's uh... Yeah, that's why I changed the word. <laughs> too much that. Um. Anything else to add on this before we move on? I think, as we said, the twist is largely the basis for this. And as they build it around, I don't know what you think of the kind of little get-ups in between. What about the way that they build Soze's character with his backstory? It's just tall tales, isn't it? And there's something to it. Some of it is not often, it's not always meant to be funny, but or sometimes obviously it is. But even just like the... To just some of it just becomes ludicrous, doesn't it? When you layer it on top, yeah, because it's obviously it's a horrific story about him, but they do sell it in a way that a guy doing what seems like such a catching my words here in in John Wick, the stories about him very much sound like stories about him. You hear he mm. killed what was it three guys with a pencil? Yeah, that sounds like okay, this may have happened or it may have been that someone's embellishing here. The way this story is told, it never feels like that's the way with Kaiser Soze. It feels like he absolutely did do this. He killed his kids to prove a point to the gangsters that were trying to take his business. Mm. And that sticks with the character then for the rest of it. And that's why I guess you don't need you don't need to sell him as you know, he was six foot tall and he was yeah. built like this. Just there's nothing they can say about Soze after that that is going to make your opinion any worse of him. No. And without even seeing the villain at this point, we've seen a shadow shooting in the dark. We're terrified for anyone that has to cross this guy. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 it's the legend around him is very good. It's just, uh, it's just one of them, and it? it's just a it work. Everything just falls. I don't say falls. It makes it sound like it's unintentional, but everything comes together just it's like perfectly. It's like it's like silk at certain points. Yeah, 
yeah, the, the little things watching back, like uh, Spacey really painting himself. Like he can't light the cigarette himself because his hands are shaking so much. Mm-hmm. I think little subtleties. Do you think the the fact that they have the police officer repeatedly telling him, "I'm smarter than you. You're weak. You're a cripple. You're this. You're that." that we aren't supposed to see it as good guys versus bad guys, because do you think that maybe changes the ending by that point? No, I'm not too sure. I mean, it certainly helps with the twist, for obvious reasons. If you have someone's a bit like just a dickhead, it was just (laughs) an hour and a half, when they turn out to be the mastermind behind the whole thing. It's like, ah, nice. Um, Den of Thieves really did take that on as well. I, I think we need to credit the guy that's been burnt half to death for the fact that he can come around this quickly. Let's flash back to prisoners, by the way, where they were saying they couldn't ask any questions immediately about a currently missing child. Mm-hmm. This one is on a boat where we assume that everyone is dead and the guy's escaped. Yep. And this guy, in a foreign language, manages to put together a description that they can build with that with that uh what's an e-fit now the sketch for the sketch artist to put together mm. and it's a fantastic job i mean he may be the real mvp um feels harsh but okay the real mvp is never the actual mvp though so i think he gets by on that right and, yeah still still not sure on it do you think soze comes back for him once he realizes he's alive well, if the stories are to be true. Or does he, uh, you'll never hear of him again. Yeah, well, he, he probably just, does he, does he do the De Niro and break his own rules? Or Maybe. Does he get out clean? I've told you before that the, the heat ending has just been strengthened by illest motherfucker alive on Watch the Throne. Um, that's always stuck in my head now you just mentioned the ending mm. originality for this there's so many things that it should fit in with but I still don't think I've really seen anything like it Like it doesn't feel like a whodunit we don't feel at any point on the first watch that we need to work out who Kaiser Soze is like there's never someone that we have looked at right until the end where it's like, are you Kaiser Soze? Are you Kaiser Soze? Like it's not like knives out the whole way through. We're looking for who killed this person. Yeah. At least personally, the first time around, I didn't feel that was something I needed to do on the watch was work out who this was. I just assumed they were, like I said, you're never going to know who this is. He's an idea. He's whatever. It doesn't feel like a kind of police drama no. I don't really know what it fits into other than being kind of like, I mean, even like an action thriller or like a heist or whatever, it doesn't seem to fit into any of these little subcategories that we would usually try to try to section them into. No, no, it doesn't. It's, but it, it's, that, it, that is to its credit because it's, it's just, it's the sum of its parts are, are, are great, but it is still greater than, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Anything else you'd add before we move on? No, not for me, man. All right. Well, let's go on to Inside Man. So the synopsis here, 
a sole survivor tells of the twisty events leading up to a horrific... No, that's the usual suspects. There we go. That's me trying to do things quickly. All right. A police detective, a bank robber, and a high-power broker enter high-stakes negotiations after the criminal's brilliant heist spirals into a hostage situation. I noticed you didn't stop me there either. You'd done by the time I went to say anything. <laughs> what do you think the critics thought of this? Yeah, about the same. I reckon it's probably about an 8.5. A straightforward but enthralling caper that does right by its characters while offering Lee the wiggle room to poke at a few social issues along the way. Inside Man is a run-of-the-mill heist film, something that merely fills up time, directed by Spike Lee. The interweaving of backstory and some taut subplots deep in the action, orchestrated with such precision that each scene innately ratchets up the stakes from its previous frame. Director Spike Lee's most polished effort in years is a gripping thriller with strong performances. And it appears to be a heist movie, but it's too slow for the genre and the tension keeps slackening into comedy. There are plenty of plot twists, but the comedy is a much better but the comedy is much better than the tension was ever going to be. Feels harsh. It does feel harsh. First things first, this was almost not a Spike Lee film. Oh, okay. This was going to be a Ron Howard film. Okay. He gets a call from Russell Crowe saying, have a look at this script for Cinderella Man. Okay. He jumps He jumps ship, goes to do Cinderella Man, and essentially they're scrambling for an act for a director at late notice, and uh, they opt for Spike Lee. Um, yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, fair, fair choice, isn't it? A little bit different to some of his other Spike's other films as well. I don't know if Denzel was on board at that point or if it's a late swap out for him. Because we kind of associate the the Denzel-Spike link-up, don't we? Yeah, they've been together a few times. Uh, So the scene in the coffee shop was improvised. On the DVD commentary, Spike Lee states that when Denzel Washington ad-libbed the line, I'll bet you can get a cab though, he nearly ruined the take by laughing so hard. Ah, Denzel, legend. As for how this came together, so according to Spike Lee, he and Willem Dafoe met in the men's room during the intermission of the play Julius Caesar, in which Denzel Washington was appearing. As they were standing side by side, Spike said, we should work together, and Dafoe replied, yeah, we should. Later that night, Spike sent in the script. Oh, nice and and easy. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of those interrogation scenes were most ad-libbed, and we'll get on to them because there's one in particular that's uh, interesting. Spike says, at the time of making the movie, he was not aware that riddles had been a major part of the plot in another thriller set in New York City, Die Hard with a Vengeance. (laughs) He said, if he'd known that, he would have cut out the riddle scenes in the movie. Great film, though. Nothing wrong with it. He had about, what, nine years or something like that? To know, <laughs> eleven. Is it really? I was going. I thought it was ninety-seven, but so I was seven. I thought years. it was ninety-five, but I trust you. Uh, I was between ninety-five and ninety-seven, and then took a call to go in ninety-seven. So could be either way. Ninety-five sounds more accurate now. You've said it. 
very relevant to it's high it's, it's decent lighters. Yeah, and he, he's had a fair while to uh, work this out. Um, yeah. The Cartier diamond ring is the real thing. The movie borrowed it from Cartier for three days and it's valued at 1.5 million. What do you think the insurance was like on that set? Extortionate. I also wouldn't want to be the one then put in charge of that. Put in charge of it. No. Um, The shootout sequence between the police and the robbers was not in the original script. Spike Lee said he added it because he felt that it was good. It was a good time to to interject some action. Um, This scene was the last one and it was filmed on the last day so they could shoot up the bank movie set. (laughs) Yeah, I I love that. The initial scene on last day though. Yeah, the initial scene in the bank was actually shot in a bank, but everything after that was just a movie set. Hmm. You're aware the bank was? I don't. No, I assume if it's spike, it probably was New York, but that feels like that would be a hard one to get permission to shoot in. Yeah, you'd assume so, but I suppose either way it depends. You say permission, it's down to the bank, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, you're not really asking for anyone else's permission, so... No, I just thought for them, are they busier than others? I don't know. Um, <sighs> New York, it just seems like that would be more difficult. Yeah, I, f- I, feel, I feel what you're saying. Um, I imagine Spike Lee's just pulled uh, on a Spike yeah. Lee car. <laughs> um, is Denzel's moustache the MVP this week? No, but it's a nice effort. Is it all still effort. in place? No, well... Uh, what an attempt at a beard around it, so okay. Hard to maintain that when uh, my eyesight is so much stronger at one eye than the other, so uh, we get an uneven mustache if I try doing that. Okay, that just got to leave uh, the barbers to do their work each time. Okay, Denzel with this. I saw a review and they say you get the best of Denzel in this because you aren't attributing his character with a whole lot of baggage that he has to basically work things around. He's not going through a divorce, not trying to get his kids. He's not shot someone on the job accidentally. He's not being shot. So all of these things that you could sprinkle in with a Denzel one, he's not corrupt. He's not really battling corruption until partway through the film. There's nothing really causing him to have to lean any which way. And so you get the kind of the charming Denzel that, everyone hopes to see when they sit down to watch a Denzel Washington film. Yeah, exactly. And he does deliver. He does. They give him quite a lot of lines in this. The one I noted down where I thought, okay, it was almost like this was written with Denzel in mind, or maybe his, his delivery just uh, suggests that, was that um, where Dalton says, this time next week I'll be sucking down pina coladas in a hot tub with six girls named Amber and Tiffany. <laughs> and he says more like taking a shower with two guys named Jamal and Jesus if you know what I mean and here's the bad news that thing you're sucking on it's not a pina colada yeah it's some good, good chatting this yeah whoever heard of a bank robbers escaping on a plane with 50 hostages you've seen Dog Day Afternoon yeah I uh <laughs> Dog Day Afternoon what a throwback I particularly like uh, that he refu- he refers to uh, what he's got between his legs as his Johnson, which is something we often do on a Monday night news of the week. Oh, okay. Just to make the headlines a little friendlier. Um, mm, nice. Last time I had my Johnson pulled this good, it cost me five bucks. 
<laughs> it was in Tijuana, don't ask. I'm not sure I'd ever want to know some people's Tijuana stories. <laughs> Sounds like a wild, wild place. Yeah. I've, I've just debated whether to have this conversation, but we'll go with it. I feel like if you're in the market there, $5, you maybe start questioning, like, I'm not sure about this. If you want a job done well, you need to pay the premium. And I'd be worried for my Johnson in his shoes. <laughs> Those Tijuana streets. Yeah, exactly. Don't need, don't want, don't want or need that work. No. So some have said with this that you've just got all these moving parts at once. So I, I saw it described in one review as so many movies within the movies. Mm. Do you think that particularly works well? Or do you think maybe you could have done with more of a focus on Madeline's character, of how she became this fixer, or more on Dalton's character, what got him to this point, or more on how Fraser became higher up, or more on Darius and the double act that they have? What what do you think there, or do you think we get just enough from each of them? I think it's an ensemble. It works better. Um some of those characters they don't even need a backstory some obviously they do give you motivations but sometimes the motivation can just be I want to rob a bank yeah well they kind of try to explain his take later on they do Um, they do and how much do you care for it I I prefer my bank robbers to have a cause and it to not be a noble one. <laughs> I prefer you to be like Den of Thieves. I just want to rob a bank. Yeah, heat's very much the same. Yeah. We rob banks because we can and we're good at it. Like, I quite like it in Hell or High Water, actually. Uh, they have a cause and protecting your family's heritage I would argue is is a noble cause yeah that's what I mean I do quite like it in that but even then you've got the kind of uh, you've got the loose cannon in there it's not strictly we need to do this for the right reasons and the this bank was founded for immoral reasons and so on and so on I'd rather it be I don't want to get up and go to work today for whatever an hour and drive to work in this car and be struggling for my rent. I want to go and be in Beverly Hills with my convertible and I want to be just throwing my money out on a beach or whatever. That's what I prefer my bank robbers to be. Uh, that's the mindset I prefer. I, I feel you. I get you. Um, I think for the most part, so do I. But- there are some exceptions, like you say. Is Dalton an exception? Mm, I do really like this film. So I I suppose I've got to say, yeah, I do like most things about this film. Before we get to Clive Owen, because I do have quite a few questions about him for you. Yeah. Jodie Foster's character here, first of all, and this reference will mean something to probably about one person that listens. There's a character in Two and a Half Men. Nope. One of one of Charlie's many women that after seeing this again, I'm convinced is just based on Jodie Foster in this film. 
Okay. The whole storyline is that she's a very uh, dominating figure that reminds him of his mum. But just even the way they dress her and everything about it, it's like the voice and everything is down to a T. It's like that was the sole reason they added this character. And hopefully maybe the one other person in the world that's seen those episodes as many times as I have will appreciate the callback. But other than that, Jodie Foster, we don't get a backstory for her. No. It's just something needs to be sorted out and she is the fixer that you go to. Yep. Um, Do you want, I don't want, I don't, I don't need a backstory, man. But I just, just don't. Her backstory doesn't impact her ability to do her job. Would you watch a spin-off about that? I love shit about fixers, man. Like, Ray Donovan, I started watching that, I thought that was really good. Uh, the George Clooney, Michael Brown, ever seen, ever seen that? No, I was going to ask you... Michael Clayton, sorry. Who do you call first, her or Winston Wolfe? Got to call Winston Wolfe. I feel like Winston Wolfe is more of a, your everyman fixer. I feel like she's more specialist. Well, she'll tell you, you can't afford me, as she does several, <laughs> several times in this film. Yeah, but you got to keep costs low, so you call the wolf. There's a real thing that you can do in films, and we'll kind of let a character get away with mentioning money once. The second time you do it, the second we attribute your character as being money money hungry. Money hungry is wrong is the wrong word. Money orientated. Yeah, that's the one because money hungry, some of our favourite characters like Scarface is money hungry. Mm-hmm. Money driven. Eat money. Yeah, essentially we don't want you lording that over other people because even the gangsters in these films they're doing it for them for the most part and the points at which they start to take a downturn and maybe we go off them is when they do start holding it against other people in this I think the first thing we get from Madeline with Fraser is she says well detective there are matters at stake here they're a little bit above your pay grade no offence then we've got... Uh, I don't mind that as a line. I use that No, but then when it's doubled up with, you've got a card in case I need to call you. Please don't take this personally, but no, I don't think you can afford me. <laughs> and we've got several of those kind of lines in her basically saying, she's only going to be of help if you've got some significant incentive for her. I feel like that's impacted you a lot more than it has me. Well, no, I'm just trying to build the character and I think that's an easy way if you're not going to give a backstory, then these are just the little things that you can do to build that because she's not supposed to be likable at all, is she? There's not supposed to be any part of her that we're supposed to warm to. No, it's supposed to be methodical, almost predatory. And we almost do in films as well. We often hold the people that do the bad things for the bad people. We often dislike them more than the people they're doing it for. It's quite often direct versus indirect action, isn't it? Well, and they just come across a lot more wormy. 
Yeah, I get it. A lot more like slithering between the lines and uh, operating in the grey, mate. Yeah, I will tell you, I I squirm at the line when she says, uh, "Careful, detective! My bite is much worse than my bark." Makes me cringe. The two times I've seen that, by both times, oh. It's not the it's not the greatest line of dialogue in the world, no. <laughs> no. But she she is very good though, and not really seen Jodie Foster like that before. And I do think her range is gonna be far greater than probably we've even seen. Uh yeah, I I don't think there's a lot she can't do. Plays plays a copper, plays a good person a lot of the time. Yeah, and in this She's not supposed to come across as inherently evil, and so we aren't supposed to hate her in that sense. So it's a very delicate act that she does. Mm. But she does it very well. And she also does it to the point where it never feels like she's trying to do too much. She's never trying to overpower Clive Owen in the scene. She's never trying to overpower Denzel in the scene. No. It's just the right amount. Those are two of the main guys, and she is there ultimately to tell you more about them. Yeah. And that's it. She's there, like we said a moment ago, with usual suspects. She's someone just there to help it tick over. Does this film work without her? I think you can make it work. You've got to do some fiddling around um, and move certain parts. I think you can make it work. Do I think it works as well? No, because there's she's almost she's almost a touch point between good the the good and the bad. She's wholly self-invested. Um, Dalton's motivations mean not always, but he, she is wholly self-invested. Because you can kind of taking things from the Jews and working with Nazis at the height of the war. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to be bad regardless of whether Jodie Foster is there to be involved in that process. Correct. But I guess is she there to show that as much as he's saying that was just it at the time, well, his 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 antics have clearly continued by the fact that he's still going about these grubby ways to get yeah. what he wants. Yeah. Um, no, she doesn't. She's not powerful enough to change that scenario. No. A, a point I meant to mention with Denzel that I wrote down, and it's something really innocuous is. The scene at the end where the chief is telling Denzel to drop the case. Yeah. He coughs in the middle of that and then just continues. And it's only a little thing. I thought that was great in terms of just being like a real person. Yeah. It just it not being the most delicate and slick and stylish yeah. conversation in the world. There's a point and I would never I would never have highlighted this myself, but I I Googled this just to see if anyone else had picked up on it after seeing it the first time. And someone compared it in No Country for Old Men. Yeah. And I believe it's Woody Harrelson's character is eating some peanuts. Yeah. At the time when he's speaking, um, I forget the character's name now. Shigur. Um, mm-hmm. When he's speaking with him. And someone highlighted that every time I, I eat like dry roasted peanuts, they get stuck in your throat. Yeah. And so they said, just they were watching that. 
he takes it, he kind of coughs up and he needs a drink to wash them down. And it could have been just a completely natural thing. It could have been in the script, but just those kind of things that just do make things feel so much more real. Yeah. Can even just draw you in slightly more without well, even I mean, thinking about it. Only because I'm just looking out for these things while prepping for the podcast, but when how often points out or no like flaws obviously everyone coughs and so on but it's almost like a, it's a flaw in the conversation that draws you in more like I say it just takes it away from being overly slick or overly done if that makes sense well yeah because as someone with no, no experience of making anything close to a blockbuster mm. if I was sat with you and I'm filming that scene I've put the camera up you're Denzel in this situation I'm the police chief yeah if you cough, I'd get up and stop the camera and go, oh, yeah. start again. Yeah. And I wonder, uh, yeah, you're right. Most people probably would as well because it's a broken take. And I wonder if that's something that Spike Lee even considered or if it's just, I got what I needed. Like, what, why <laughs> why did, would I throw that take away or whatever? Don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, like, was it a, Denzel was it was it Denzel throwing something in just to, to yeah. change the character a little? Yes. Um, Clive and I have some questions on for you before we get to the kind of twist in this. Okay. So we start. He identifies himself as Dalton Russell. He's sat in this small, dark space that he identifies as a cell. Mm-hmm. He tells us he's committed the perfect bank robbery in New York. Mass robbers dressed in painter coveralls and they've all got the name Steve. Yeah. They take control of this Manhattan bank and he tells us to pay attention to everything that I say. Yeah. First of all, if I read the statement now to you, statement out to you that Clive Owen matches Denzel in this, would you agree or disagree? Ooh. Uh, it gives him, yeah, 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 yeah. So you agree? I, I think so, don't yeah. you? I do, I do. I just, I had to put it no. as a yes or no because otherwise it's going, oh, yeah, kind of. So. I mean, that's literally what you got from you. That's what you get from me every time. Well, that's why I tried to make it a yes or a no. No, and then you complain when I just give you yes or no answers. I can't no, wait. no, they're just in, just because I've got a further point from this. Um, okay. Clive Owen, if I was to say to you, give me a bad Clive Owen role. I don't think one would immediately shoot to your head and my point here is lost if one did. No. Uh... No, that's... that's um, I, wasn't no, I was looking, trying to think of the one. film, but I'm not going to have my cat. Why isn't Clive Owen... Why hasn't Clive Owen been bigger than he is? You know, a lot of stuff, mate. But not to the level of what he could be. Like, if, if I was talking... There's a lot of stage, though, you've got to think. If I was talking movie stars with you and I asked you who the bigger movie star was, Clive Owen or Jason Statham? Jason Statham. What, why could Clive Owen not be that guy? He's not that guy. He is... If... He's not, Clive Owen ain't doing crank. <laughs> no, I don't think Jason Statham needed to do crank, but I'm, I'm grateful he did. If in 2004 or whenever this was done, mm, Barbara sick. Broccoli casts Clive Owen as James Bond over Daniel Craig. Yeah. 
Are any of those films worse, do you think? It's hard to say because you associate Daniel Craig with James Bond almost wholly now, don't you? You don't associate James Bond with Daniel Craig, but Daniel Craig is essentially just James Bond now. Forget all the other stuff he's been in. It's essentially, do you think that Clive Owen could have done everything Daniel Craig has done as James Bond? I don't know. I think he could would have would have given it a very good go. Do I think he would have been as good? Who knows? But like I say, the other thing you say about him not being, you have to think like Clive Owen, classically trained actor, right? Yeah. Loves being on stage. That much is evidenced by if you go to his actual full acting page, the fucker is just on stage all the time. He's played, I'm pretty sure he's played Macbeth. He's done a fair whack, he's fair whack of Shakespeare, right? Um, which is, can only, like, if you imagine you're doing a West End run or you're doing, you take someone to take a play to, to Broadway and you're doing 12 weeks and, and you're on, you're touring as if in theatre for a year, that can only hamper your ability to enhance your film career. Well, I think we spoke... Well, no, no, I take, I take, I take that back. It obviously doesn't because a lot of people, a lot of fantastic actors have done both. But if, if, if you dedicate as much time to being on stage as Clive Owen has, it can detract because you you must have to miss opportunities. No, what? you watch everything he's in. You can't tell me he seems like a decent bloke as well, unless someone knows anything to the contrary. No, no. In interviews with him, he seems like he seems like a all round quite just a nice bloke. What? Um, so I can't see off the back of that and his ability, his acting ability, how he wouldn't have got more. We we did King Arthur previously. Oh. He does that. He does that in two thousand and four. One hundred twenty mm. million dollar budget makes over two hundred and five million back. Mm. He then has a role in Sin City in two thousand and five. He's also great in that. And then in two thousand and six, he does Inside Man and he does Children of Men, which are both huge. Never seen Children of Men. Why is he doing Shoot 'em Up a year later? Shoot 'em Up. Yeah. Don't know what that is. It's a six point six rated out of ten. It's it's essentially it's a Jason Statham film. I don't even know if Jason Statham's in it. I don't think he is, but it's a Jason Statham type of film. And I just feel like he surely should have had bigger opportunities coming his way. Maybe someone was just putting an awful lot of money in front of him, mate. What? That this is a thir- this he this is a thirty nine million dollar film that he goes into. What inside man or no or shoot him up? Shoot him up. Mate, ten of that could be his. Fifteen of that could be his. Not the first time he's would have seen that. Not the last. That's it just seems strange. Goes, like you pick a number, you pick a man, you pick a number. We did it a couple of weeks ago with Rosamund Pike, and it was like after Gone Girl, you should have been huge. Also, does a fair bit of stage. So, so that's my. So, you you think he's just content with what he has? Go, like, go, go and have a look, right? I know, I, I know but, that he's doing these things, but it just seems strange that 
he isn't getting these two three hundred million dollar films kind of fall on his fall on his doorstep after clearly he's shown that he can do that. Um yeah, well, I, I, and that's why, like, like I said a minute ago, I think it's got to be, to me, it seems as though it would be a choice. I mean, you imagine he must have been played, paid fairly handsomely, no? For sure. For, for, for sort of this, um, for this and a few others, you'd assume he, he did okay. Um, and with that in mind... He, he probably looked. He, he he might have looked at it as uh, he he may, may well have looked at it and be like, right, that's me done. Now I get to do. I've done some for them. Now I get to do some for me. Well, they've shoot them up. I can't. I, I can't imagine that was one of them. But if I give you uh, some actors, yeah, and you tell me if Clive Owen could have stepped into their shoes, overall or specific roles, just overall, just that kind of Gerald Butler. No, different types, different guys. Chris Evans, Captain America. Chris Evans. Yeah. No. You've also picked younger guys, which I think is odd. Well, I'm just picking those kind of roles. But the age does impact it because okay, the okay, okay, okay. No. Captain yeah, I America get what you what? mean. Captain America is what 2010, 2012? No, yeah. 2010, right? At that point, Clive's 40. Chris has got 28 off. Off the back of Inside Man and Children of Men, yep. shoot shoot them up bombs in 2007. Okay. Can he be Liam Neeson in Taken in 2008? I don't think so. Ooh, I mean I mean, why why not? Why do you why do you think not? I realise we're talking about a film where he robs banks and we've seen him in, in some other stuff. Just don't think he's got... I don't think he's quite got that grittiness. Juicy Clive... Liam Neeson, I can believe, kicks fuck out of people. Clive Owen, I'm not sure if I can. Clive Owen... This is going to sound really insulting to Liam Neeson. I don't mean it this way. If Clive Owen's to play a bad guy, I believe it must be... it. It's a cerebral bad guy. No, Liam Neeson obviously doesn't play a bad guy, but... No, I know it. Bad actions, they bad bad actions. They sit cerebrally motivated, or so like there's a, a smart to it. Liam Neeson essentially just strolls around Paris kicking fuck out of people. It's a flesh wound. <laughs> like yes, fine. Knowing that your man's forgotten the the weight of a loaded gun is, <laughs> it is quite brilliant. But in, I think in another universe he could have been Daniel Craig. Mm. I, I yeah I, I I I'm not saying he couldn't, and I I didn't mean he he couldn't have done Bond, but I just think it's a hard question to answer now. Yeah, because you just link they're they're so intrinsically linked. Do you know what I mean? If he was cast as James Bond, then how do you think people would have reacted? What in 06? Yeah, do you think this is the same year Casino Royale? I don't think anyone would have batted an eyelid. If James Bond's supposed to be a good looking English. Englishman, I realise not all of them have been English. Because that's off the back of then Inside Man and Children of Men. Mm. 
yeah, I, I mean, I don't think any would. I don't think people would have batted an, batted an eyelid at the time. But looking at it in re- with like retrospectively, I think it's just hard to do. He strikes me more Piers Brosnan than Daniel Craig. Okay, okay, I don't mind that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's and I don't mean that in a bad way. It just strikes me more. It was like he's not that, a that guy word. that I would even really, even really think about until I saw him on screen got yesterday, and it kind of just. It felt like, and I just remember watching, um, it's Born Identities in, isn't it? And I know at that point yeah. he's Clive Owen, but I just think of all, I'm thinking of that, that I'm thinking of King Arthur. He just has that, he God, has the ability to be a leading man and it just feels like, why have we not got more Clive Owen a, as a leading he, man? He plays a lead in this, do you know what I mean? Yeah, this, this, is, what, this is what I mean. It just feels like um, he never did anything wrong for for it, well, we spoke about Peter Green earlier. Like you can Google him, and it's quite clear to see this is why there is gaps in this guy's IMDb. Yeah, you Google Clive Owen, and it's like I don't really. Oh, can Clive Owen do you and McGregor? I don't think he could have done Star Wars. No, I don't really know what else you and McGregor was in around this time. I strangely just thought about the Ireland film he did with Scarlett Johansson. No idea. No. To be honest with you. I think I was just trying to think of people that look vaguely like him because I've gone through so many accents. I got got that impression. Go Go on. So this is sort of my thing. So... Maybe no, the stage is wrong. He came, went back to the stage. He was there for a while, went back. Wasn't doing... 07, doesn't do a lot. Oh, yeah, doesn't do a lot in TV. Does Elizabeth the Golden Age, and doesn't do a lot. Hmm, maybe, I, I don't... I don't I don't know. I take it back. Because um, it wasn't actually... It wasn't even as like I thought about it. it like, what did, didn't even happen the way... He became patron. And I honestly don't know me. I'm actually lost because it wasn't even his timeline. What didn't, it isn't the way that I thought it was. Became what? patron of a cinema in Essex in 2006. Um, don't know. No, I don't know. Well, that's a nice, <laughs> nice point to uh, move on from. Um, He's got. If I said Denzel's got some good one-liners in this, he's got some quite good one-liners in this as well. He does. Unfortunately, the further you run from your sins, the more exhausted you are when they catch up with you, and they do. Fraser says to him, come on, let's go down the street to the bar. I'll buy you a drink. He says, thanks, but I'm trying to stay away from bars right now, if you know what I mean. He's he's good in this. Now let's talk about... Do you want to talk about the cat and mouse or the twist first? Do a twist if you wish. All right. So we find out that Arthur Case, the chairman of the board of directors and the bank founder, has this box inside the bank. And this box contains documents from Nazi Germany. Um, 
He started his bank with money received from the Nazis for unspecified services resulting in many Jews dying during World War II. He promises through Madeline that if the case is returned to him with the contents either included or destroyed, then there'll be a substantial sum up for grabs. Dalton gets out, but he wants to take this guy down. He says, I'm no martyr. I did it for the money, but it's not worth much if you can't face yourself in the mirror. Respect is the ultimate currency. I was stealing from a man who traded his away for a few dollars, and then he tried to wash away his guilt, drown it in a lifetime of good deeds and a sea of respectability. It almost works, but inevitably, the further you run from your sins, the more exhausted you are when they catch up to you, and they do certain it will not fail. So they get out of the bank. We're going to get onto that with a cat and mouse, but he doesn't get out of the bank. Mm-hmm. He stays in there. Frazier then searches the bank records, finds the safety deposit box and finds that it never appeared on any records since the bank's founding in 1948. He gets a search warrant to open it and uh, he then confronts him and accuses him of the Nazi dealings. The fact that he was never there for the money, the fact that he does stay inside the bank at any times, I realise we're off the back of what's held up as one of the greatest twists in cinema history. But, but this was, isn't a bad. This isn't a bad effort. That's my question. Is it's this also falls outside of your timeline, by the way? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, I, I don't see this as that great of a twist. I think it's. I think it's done very well. I think it is as well. I think. Well, that, that was my question. Did you know what happened here before you went in? Because I know that's quite a no. frequent thing for you. No, no. So the idea of the bank robber that isn't actually robbing the bank technically. Yeah. You like the twist? I do. Did you ever think he had shot a hostage in the head? Yes. The first time I watched it, I did. I remember being sceptical. I can't tell you exactly how I felt the first time around watching it. Um, But yeah, when we go back to him, he has his monologue. We find out the cell was him hiding behind a fake wall that the robbers had constructed inside the bank supply room. He has a week in there, which they do reference the fact he's going to stink. I don't know where he was shitting in this time. (laughs) And he has the contents of the safety deposit box, including incriminating documents and several bags of diamonds. So he wasn't in it for the money, but he did get out okay in the end. Yep, it does get out fine. Do you like that we didn't get a final kind of confrontation is the wrong word, but we didn't get a final standoff or whatever between Fraser and Dalton. He just slips the diamond in his pocket. Yeah. I, if the, if he recognized, like if he, I don't know if he recognizes him and that's how it goes down, it sort of just undermines all the work that goes into it beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's a cool one. I particularly like the kind of dressing everyone up and that's how they get at the bank. I feel like maybe a more bank robber should try that because it feels like a foolproof plan. Yeah, if they don't know who you are, then it, it would probably, no. probably will work. <laughs> it, do, it brings on these interrogations. Um, the one interrogation with uh, a woman named Stevie. Mm. Not sure about that. Not a great look, that. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. You see, there's just you and one other woman that fit the physical description of the female suspect. It's your height, your age, and cup size. Yeah, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? The smirk from uh, Mitchell at the time. (laughs) He's having far too much fun in there. Confirmed. But then the back and forth with the kid I've just written down is GTA Kid. Nice little side character he is. <laughs> yeah. And Dalton, on the second watch, you do see with the interactions that he has. I say that, and I've just got the memory in my head of him punching some, <laughs> several times. So I was going to say that what his intentions always were. He doesn't feel like a standard bank robber, particularly on the second time around. There are certain cues you can pick up on. Even just, he says he's going to tell his dad, doesn't he? Finish your slides, I'll take you back to your father. I have to talk to him about this game. Yeah. And he's telling the kid, you think that's cool, robbing a bank? (laughs) He says, hell yeah, I'm trying to get paid too. (laughs) It's very funny. Spike does his, he's kind of got the racial undertones in, hasn't he, with the taking the man's turban off and not returning it. Yes. And that's all involved in this cat and mouse that we get. So Dalton demands food to be provided. The police send pizzas, which have listening devices in them. The bugs pick up someone speaking Albanian, and then they break that down, and you work out that they were aware that that was going to be happening. Then the other way around, Fraser allows some hostages to leave. Um, he includes this uh, device on the outside, so he actually listens into everything that they're saying. We've got Fraser going into the bank, and he kind of wrestles him to conclude that he's not a killer. Yeah. But then that's disproven when a hostage execution is staged. Yeah. The emergency team go into action and then he realises that and so they sneak out with the disguises on too. Yeah. Other than Clive Allen. Clive, Clive Owen. Um, and then the police detain and question everyone but they can't distinguish the identity from the hostages to the robbers. Yeah. No money was stolen and they're, unident- they're unable to identify anyone involved. When you break it down like that, that's a good good little cat and mouse. It's what um what you tune in for. It is, yeah. Um and it's strange to be doing two films where ultimately your 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 villains or your bad guys, regardless of their morality, uh actually essentially get away with what they came for. 
The criticisms of this not being fast-paced enough, what do you think about that? Two hours, six minutes long. I get it. I do get it. Because it's not your standard heist film, is it? That's exactly what I was just going to say to you. I think you lose a lot if this is just set-piece, set-piece dialogue, set-piece dialogue, and bang, 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 bang. You might disagree. I don't know. No, Um, it's... If... I think I saw the run time... It's supposed to be a highbrow heist film, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I saw the runtime at the time, and I think the fact it was Clive Owen made me did think something was maybe askew. If I tuned in for an adrenaline-filled heist film, I would be leaving disappointed. Yes. I've tried finding like the TV trailers to see how this was sold, but I'm struggling to find them, to be honest. Because it was Clive Owen, I bet you weren't expecting that. And that's my point. No, exactly. That's my point about the Statham thing. Yep. Anything you want to add before we do the judging? No. All right. Which film did you prefer? Hmm. Uh, The Usual Suspects. Agreed. Which do you think is more rewatchable? The usual suspects. Agreed. Best moment slash scene? It's the end of the usual suspects. Yeah. Best quote? I, I do think it's, again, if you play it for the second time, it's the, it's, it's the end of his Chris Spacey talking about the devil. The devil, yeah. MVP? Kaiser Soze or, or, or Dalton? I'll give you either. Uh, I'm taking Soze, but... That's fine. Um, well, you can chalk, you chalk, chalk that up as a winner. Very similar. It's similar, similar in... It, 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 almost similar in storyline, isn't it? Who had the more difficult job to pull off? Hey, Who had the more difficult job to pull off? They're basically, they're pulling off the same fucking thing. The one's only trying to disclose his <laughs> identity, but ultimately, he's, they're trying to get, out, get away with a heist and no one to find out that they are who they, who they, who they are. There's a lot more manual labour for Clive Owen, but he actually doesn't do much of that. It's got uh, it's got more of a crew, and I yeah. feel like Soze's efforts are a lot more solo. He's got Kobayashi, that's all he needs. Yeah. Best side character? It's Benicio, no? I'm taking Redfoot over mm. Benicio. Okay. okay. When he flicks the cigarette and it hits him in the face, by the way, that was supposed to hit his chest and they just kept the actual reaction in because he was very pissed off that a cigarette yeah. had just been flicked in his face. Understandable, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah he does fully lose his head. Uh, which one had you more on the edge of your seat? Uh, 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 um, I think it's The Usual Suspects, mate. I agree, but I which don't think is- either are really that kind of film. No, which is miraculous when you consider how much of it is take takes place in an interrogation room. Yeah. Uh, action per minute. Yes, the usual suspects. Best soundtrack. Uh, I like Inside Man. I kind of have no feeling there, so I'll go with it. It's like it's, it's, it's some of the little scores are nice. Originality. 
the usual suspects. Bigger impact? Same again. Best opening scene? Yeah, same again. Best ending? I feel like that one's obvious. <laughs> and best chemistry? Inside Man. I don't disagree. But ultimately, it is a 12-2 win for a, the usual suspects. It's a matchup. It feels harsh on Inside Man because it's a very good film. Like, it's a brilliant film. But it, basically, it's come up against a film where not your your, your concept. They, they've almost plucked it from. Um. It's almost like well, one could run, so the other could walk. Yeah. Uh, one, one, one walk, so the other could run. It's uh, yeah, it feels harsh at twelve two. Well, there we go. As for next week, you're away, listeners of the show. Um, your passport, I assume, finally did arrive. It did. So, where are you off to? Prague. Nice. Is that where your brother is? No, he's no. he's in Budapest. There we go. So you'll be away. I will have goth round and we will be doing a Halloween themed crime podcast. So we will be doing The Purge. And I believe Saw 2. Is that like the best one or something? It's essentially, there's more to talk about than the original. And there's less flashbacks to be referring to so okay fair enough i've never really seen any of them so i don't know no not your bag you'll be hoping the purge goes through i imagine um i didn't really enjoy that i've got some thoughts on that so i'll save them for next week but there were other films that didn't fit the theme as well so okay steered clear but thank you for listening to another edition of movie madness we'll be back next week as i said and then the week after that i believe is i'd start watching now keen and it's american gangster versus city of god so that will be never seen city of god i haven't so okay my first viewing as i said thank you for listening we'll be back Goodbye.